here, here we go. Verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's what love is. Isn't that good? Isn't it good that God gives us the definition of love? That we don't have to rely on culture to define what love is to us. Because listen to me, what culture defines love as today is way different than what God defines it as. Right? Culture has, has, has taken lust and blended it together with love. And what people lust, they think they love. And what they're really supposed to love, they're just lusting. And so culture has twisted it up, made it what it's not supposed to be. But praise God, he gives us a clear definition of what love is. Isn't that good? Look at verse 11, though. Verse 11 is in the same thought that Paul was having when he was writing this on on paper. He says this in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or a woman... I gave up what childish ways. Oh man, if you're going to be successful in marriage, you got to get past your childish ways. Some, I see folks sometimes been married 20, 30 years and they still act like kids. It's one thing if you're acting like a kid and you're passionately in love each other, but if you're making demands and throwing tantrums and having fits and boudaying and pouting and crying, because you didn't get what you want, you're, you're, you're being childish. Let's just be straight out this morning. Come on, it's time to grow up. Say it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You're not going to always get what you want. You're not going to always get it when you think you're supposed to get it. You just soon settle it in your mind now and grow up. Right? Because if the faster we grow up, the faster we get to enjoy this relationship that God's given us. Amen? So love is the most important, yet the most overused word in our vocabulary. We say things like this. I love my family. I love my wife. I love fajitas. I love my hair. Uh, I love my church. And you all say this one. I love my pastor. I did a little better than the first service, but not much. But people misdefine what love is. Definitions are important because definition gives us direction. You see, if your definition of love is skewed, then your view of love is going to be skewed also, right? So number one, God is love. The Bible says it in first John chapter four, verse eight, God is love. So someone asks you, who is God? You can say God is love. What does that mean? Well, God is love and everything that he is, everything that he consists of, everything that's inside of him, around him or on him is love. When God rebukes you, it's love. When God corrects you, it's love. When God gives you mercy, it's love. When he forgives you, it's love. When he protects you, it's love. When he provides for you, it's love. Everything that God does is love because it's who he is. You got to settle this in your heart today that God is love. It's all he can be. It's who he is. 
He is love. And if you don't see him that way today, then my prayer is that at the end of this message, you'll begin to get a different understanding or a better understanding of God. I don't know if you walked in thinking that God was a, a rule, I mean, a, a rule holder, a judge, or a, some kind of authoritative figure in your life. That may be true at times, but God is love. Every time he's corrected me, it was done in love. Every time he, he, he rebuked me or, or caused me to go in a different direction, it was because he loved me. Amen? God is love. And by the way, if you want to memorize a verse, that's a good verse to memorize. God is love. So how is love built? Love is built spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and physically. Those are the different ways that love is built. To be in love, you need emotion. But to stay in love, you're going to have to have motion. Which brings me to the title of today's message, Love in Motion. You see, love isn't just words. Love isn't just a look. Love isn't just a present. Love is action. Come on, somebody. Love is action. Love, love does something. It's in motion. When God loves me, it's, he's doing something, right? When God loves me and he provides for me, that means that he's shifting some things around financially to provide for me. When God's protecting me, that means it's in motion and he's moving things and he's protecting me. It's love in motion. If you're going to love the people around you, it's going to show up in motion. I used to work with this guy. He was a a black guy and we were working in kinder and he was a concrete finisher and and they were all talking trash. And I love to hear people talk trash. I, I like trash talking. I don't know. I just, I think it's cool what people come up with sometimes. And this, this guy, he was an older black guy and he, he always had a saying for everything. And this little young buck was, was poking at him. He said, Hey young buck, don't sing it, bring it. And I was like, Oh, that's good. That's good. Don't sing it, bring it. But love's like that. Don't sing it. Don't let love only come out of your mouth. Let it come from your hands. Let it come from your feet, your back. Come on, somebody, your brain, your heart, your emotions. Let it come and let it be in motion, right? So love is meant to be in motion. Ephesians 5.25 says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church for he gave up, gave up his life for the church. So that was, that was God's instructions to us men is to give up our lives like Christ gave up his life for the church. In other words, let me very, put it very simply, you got to die. <laughs> and, and I hear women fuss all the time. Well, the Bible says we got to submit. I don't like to submit. I'll trade you. I'll trade you some death for some submission. I can submit. I'd rather submit than die. Right? But listen to me, men. God sees you as the head of the household, the leader, the one in charge, the one that's supposed to be leading the family. And he's telling you, if you're going to love your wife, you're going to have to die. You have to lay your life down. It's a fool that leaves his house and leaves his wife to go hunting when there's something not right at home. (laughs) Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. All the ladies should be saying, hallelujah. You got to lay your life down. You don't go chase a ball when your wife needs to be chased. You don't go chase something when you need to be at home doing what you, you got to lay your life down. Can you tell your buddies? No, I got to take care of some stuff at home. Love is in motion, right? It's in motion. It's our actions is what we do. 
But notice here that Paul didn't command them to feel something. He commanded them to do something. You see, to lay your life down, it requires motion. So let's look at it. Here we go. Love is what? Love is patient. I know this is your favorite word. It's patient. Love in its purest form is patient. What is patience? Patience is the ability to accept delay. Suffering. Annoyance. Watch this. Without complaint or becoming angry. <laughs> Some people think they're patient, but they can complain and, 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 and throw jabs at people and they think they're being patient. You're not being patient. You're being impatient. But that's what patience is. So when things don't go exactly the way you think they should go, your patience is tried, right? My wife and I have been married for 20 years. We, we dated for four. It took her a little while to make up her mind. But that's okay. But we're, we've been together for 24 years now, and I'm slow. <laughs> I'm just going to admit it. I'm slow. I didn't learn as fast as I should have learned. I made a lot of mistakes. And every time I preach a marriage series, I just, sometimes, honestly, I just feel condemned because I'm like, man, I blew it for the first 15, 16 years until I finally started to somewhat get it right. But I've always struggled with patience. I know none of you have this problem, so just bear with me. I've struggled with patience and and I like things to go my way and I like them to go when I want them to go because I got in my mind how things are supposed to go. And if they don't go that way, I get upset. (laughs) I get short-tempered. My words get edgy. I get pushy. Anybody like that? And so the worst day of the week was Sunday. Because church starts at a certain time, right? They don't sit around waiting for you to get there. They start on time. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we need to get up early, do what we got to do to be ready to be there early. And like 15 minutes is on time. On time is late. Come on, somebody. Right? And so, so my wife, it takes my wife about 50 minutes to get dressed. It takes me five. So you can see where we had a little run in. So I would, I would go get ready when she was getting ready. And then, and then I'd be done in five minutes and I'd get the kids. And I wasn't a bum. I'd get the kids and I'd, I'd put them in the car and we're all packed up and we're ready to go. And I, I figured, well, if I start the car, she'll hear the engine running. And then, and then I'll speed her up a little bit, right? It don't work. So, so few times I would rev it up. Vroom, vroom. That didn't, I even blew the horn. Oh yeah. Not many times though. <laughs> I guarantee you that much. Cause it took another 15, 20 minutes on top of that. She's in the bathroom going, mm-hmm. you sorry sucker. You're going to blow the horn. I'm not somebody you blow the horn. At. Oh, I messed up my makeup. Shucks. Let me fix. Lesson learned. Love is patient. It's going to be tested. Look at your neighbor and say, your, your patience is going to be tested. I've heard this statement recently in a lot of churches that marriage is not to make us happy. It's to make us holy. Here's the truth. The only way I've grown in patience is when it's been tested. Right? My most important relationship on the planet is my wife. We're, tw- we're together 24-7. We know each other better than anybody else knows us. If somebody's going to help me grow in patience, it's going to be her. Come on. Marriage is to make you holy, not happy. 
to make you holy. You think it's all bad, but she's just trying to help you be holy. He's just trying to help you be holy. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. That's not just for you and your buddies. That's for you and your wife. Come on, somebody. Here's a verse that I've I've fallen in love with over the last year. Ephesians chapter four, verse two. It says this to be patient with each other. That's great. But it says this next. It says to make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. (laughs) That means the Bible expects you to make an allowance to be around somebody else. And that somebody else is making an allowance to be with you. You see, if you think, if you're prideful and you're self-centered, you think that you're having to make allowance for your spouse all the time. What you don't realize is how much allowance she's giving you, (laughs) right? So the Bible says that we have to make an allowance for people and their faults. But what's the tendency? The tendency is to not be around people that we don't like. People that rub us the wrong way. People that make us uncomfortable. Why do we do that? We tend to go hang out with people that we don't have to make as much allowance for. Why? Because it's easier. But you know what? You're not going to gain what you would have gained if you would have made an allowance for that person that rubs you raw. My business partner that I was in business for nine years with were polar opposites. I could get 10 times done in a day what he could. I'd make 10 times more mistakes than he would. But we were polar opposite. There was nothing we had in common. And for nine years, we worked side by side. And it's like God just grinded us together. I would burn him up and he would burn me up and we would aggravate each other. We loved each other. We'd pray together. We'd be for one another. But at the whole time, it was just like just two stones just rubbed together. Right. We had to learn how to make an allowance for one another. You're doing that already, by the way. When the holidays come and the family <laughs> reunion comes, <laughs> come on, don't, don't act all holy. You make an allowance for them couillons in your family. <laughs> you know you do. Oh, you better be ready. You know they're going to be drinking. I tell you, though, my patience is tested or I have the hardest struggle when I'm hungry. <laughs> Does anybody get hangry? Come on, it's it's like my word now. I get hangry. I don't know why it is. It's just like all of a sudden, if my stomach growls, patience takes off running. It's like patience is scared of the growl. And it's just like if if we're working and I get hungry, I I don't know what happens. I'm telling you, it's like a a possession. Something comes over me and I get quick-tempered and short and my words get edgy. I'm like, hurry up, come on, let's go. I got to get something to eat. But it must be a family thing because my kids are the same way. We all get hangry. My whole family. We were, we were doing some medical things to some pigs one time. And my son Ethan was there and he was holding the pig. And I was working on the back end about to cut it. And, and it was hot and fumes and smells were coming up. And I knew he didn't eat breakfast. And I always tell him, you better eat some breakfast. We got large tanks. <laughs> and he goes, Dad, I'm getting weak. Dad, I'm getting, I said, hang on a second. I'm almost done. Dad, I'm getting weak. I'm about to, I said, well, take a knee. So he takes a knee. I was like, he's like, dad, I'm about to, I said, hang on, bro. I'm almost done. Dad, dad, poop, passed out in the pig pasture. I knew what happened. 
It wasn't a 9-1 situation. I just picked him up, drug him over to a tree, leaned him up against a tree. I pulled out my cell phone and I said, baby, can you bring Ethan some cake and some water? Well, what's wrong? He passed out. So he's laid up against a tree. And here's the miracle. The cake came. The water came. Boop. Like he was brand new all over again. So we'd pick on him for a long time. And Anna used to really give him a hard time. And a year or two later, we were doing the same thing. And she was helping. She passed out in the pig pasture. You got to feed the Tylers when you don't think it hangry. Come on, somebody. It's like, no patience. So if you invite me over, you need to have something to eat. Just saying. <laughs> but patience goes out the window. What is it that drives you to lose your patience? Because you need to know what that is, because that thing is where God wants to work in your life. You see, here's a good way to grow. When you lose your patience, you need to reflect back on that situation and go, okay, God, I need to grow in this area. Clearly, I need to grow in this area because I just blew it, right? Don't let the devil condemn you. Let the Holy Spirit grow you. Right? That's just, that's free stuff right there. I mean, just like, lanyap, just take it, just. Mm. So love is patient. Impatience is the fruit of selfishness. Isn't that true? It's the fruit of selfishness. You got to remind yourself of how patient God's been with you. Come on. Hasn't he been patient with you? Weren't you a couillon one time? Knucklehead. Jerk, I'll stop right there. Come on, God's been patient with you. You might ought to extend patience to other people. So number one, love is patient. Number two, love is kind. Kind. It's just kind. It's not mean. It's kind. Kindness is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. So to be kind to somebody, you don't, you don't extend kindness to someone hoping that you get something back. It's not a reciprocating saw. You follow me? It's not going forward and backwards. Kindness is something you give away. You may never get it back, but you give it away. You extend it to other people, whether they deserve it or not. You see, that's good parenting skills right there because sometimes your kids are going to blow it and you're going to want to take them from the planet. Piece of advice. Instead of taking them out of this planet, why don't you extend some kindness and let the Holy Spirit come in and do the work? Kindness. I want to focus on one area of kindness this morning because I believe all of us need help in this area. It's in words. How many of you would say, I could grow in kindness in my words? Let me, let me, let me say it a way you, you might understand it better. How many of you could say, my words could be more kind? Okay, I thought I'd get a little bit better response. It's in our words. What makes a great marriage? Words. What makes a bad marriage? Words. What gets you married? Words. What gets you divorced? Words. <laughs> a softly spoken word will turn away wrath. The enemy wants you to get into a knockdown, drag out with your spouse. 
God's word says you don't have to go there if you'll respond softly with some quiet, with some kindness. You can turn away the wrath and keep the enemy from winning the situation. Come on. Right? If you'll just choose to control your tongue a little bit. But I don't want to control my tongue. I want to give them the what for. Well, they said this about me. I can say this about them. I left my childish ways. We got to leave our childish ways. Just because they say something to you doesn't mean you got to fire back. I heard something one time says you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. Kindness. Romans 2, 4 from the message translation says that God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. It's through kindness. Can I tell you that God's only raised his voice with me maybe once or twice? I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old. I got saved at the ABC camp. Only twice in my life has God actually raised his voice with me. He's kind. You see, to understand the character of God and to understand that God is love, you've got to start to begin to pay attention to how he's treating you. Is he raising a fist at you? Is he screaming at you? Is he throwing down thunder and lightning at you? No, he's not. Because if he was, you wouldn't be here. He's kind. You ever get around somebody that knows how to say something, but make it feel good? It's very rare you see people like that. I've been around a few of them. They can come up to you with a big old smile on their face. Hey, you know, and and, and this is what they'll tell you in all kinds of different ways. Hey, you know, you really suck at your job. But they'll say it in all kinds of ways. And you're like, yeah, I do. And they're leading with kindness. I hate people like, because I can't do it. I just, you suck. (laughs) Get better. (laughs) But lead with kindness in your words. Because you see, kindness is not softness, y'all. Kindness is not weakness, y'all. It's not. God leads with kindness. He leads with love. There was a survey done in one of our campuses And it was reported that 53% of the people that that answered the survey confessed to threatening their spouse with the word divorce. 53% said to their spouse, the one that they one day before that said, till death do us part, I'm ready to get out of here. They used the word divorce. Let's talk about that for a minute because you don't need to ever, 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 never, ever use that word. You need to settle it in your heart that I'm not out of this thing until one of us dies. And I'm not going to be the one to make that happen. (laughs) When you say to your spouse, I'm done. We just assume get a divorce. I'm out of here. You know what you're saying to them? That you've reached my limit. I can't go any further. I can't help you anymore. I can't put up with you anymore. I'm done with you. I'm done with this situation. I want 
out. That's what, when you use the word divorce, you're saying to your spouse, I want out. You know what happens when you say that to your spouse? You kick open the door for the enemy to come in and start bringing insecurity, to start bringing doubt, to start bringing fear. Who wants to be intimate with somebody who's willing to get out? Who wants to go down the road with somebody who's willing to get out the truck right now? Come on. You got to settle it in your heart. I'm not leaving until we're, until we're dead. My wife and I have never used the word divorce. I didn't say we weren't ever tempted to use the word divorce, but we've never used the word divorce. Because this is why, because when I decided to marry her, I decided to stay with her for the rest of my life. I decided to one day enter heaven still being married to her. There's been a lot of times we don't like each other. Sometimes we get in a fight and I say, do you love me? She goes, oh yeah, I love you. I say, do you like me? Working on that. <laughs> it's just being real, right? But you can't use a word like divorce because that's, that's the same word as quit. You're telling the other one, I'm not willing to suffer anymore. I'm not willing to put up with you anymore. I'm not willing to make any more allowance for you. You're telling them, I'm done with you. You're no longer good to me. You're dead to me. Come on. That's what happens when you use the word divorce. When you throw out the word divorce, is that being kind? I said, is that being kind? And listen, if you've used that word before, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just trying to challenge you to never use it again. Because you need to settle in your heart that you're staying in this thing until death. Right? There's nothing we can't work out. There's nothing we can't fix. If we got to get counseling, we'll get it. If I got to call Pastor Bubba and Miss Tracy, we'll call them. If I got to leave the church to go save my marriage, I quit. Come on. If I got to quit my job to save my marriage, I quit. Right? Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 from the message translation says, husbands go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. His words evoke, say evoke. That was weak, say it like it's supposed to be said, evoke. It evokes her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. So watch this. Your words are supposed to evoke her beauty. If there's something ugly about your wife that you don't like, it's because you're not speaking life to it. Instead of complaining about it, won't you speak life to it? Instead of fussing, won't you speak life? Your words evoke her beauty. Everything he says and does, it brings out the best in her. Some translations say he washes her with his words. Wow. My wife is the, is the, is who she is today because of the words I've spoken over her. Because here's the deal. God gave her to me and he gave me responsibility for his daughter. Huh. Not my wife, his daughter. I am being responsible for God's daughter. 
And God takes his daughters very seriously. And if you mistreat them and misuse them, holla. But if you'll speak life to them and breathe life into them with your words and your actions, they'll become beautiful. Amen? Don't you want a beautiful wife? I said, don't you want a beautiful wife? Well, then start speaking it over them. Tell her she looks good, even when she doesn't ask. Baby, supper was great. Baby, you look good in that apron. Ain't nothing sexier than coming home and smelling a good gravy on the stove and your wife's over there sweating a little bit. Come on. That... Come on, you fell in love with the way, when you met her, you fell in love with the way she looked, but eventually you're going to fall in the way she cooks and looks. And when you walk in, you're going to get all your senses. You're going to be like, oh, oh, baby, you fine. Woo! Listen, the gravy will get better. I'm trying to help you out. You want a better gravy? Tell her how good this one is. If you only knew what goes through my head. But love is kind, y'all. It's kind. Listen, we got to be for one another, not against one another. You got a full-time enemy trying to divide you. You don't need to work against each other. You need to work together. Celebrate each other's differences. Learn to leverage your differences. Come on, that's a big one. Learn how to leverage what she's good at and what you're not. Stop being so prideful to think that you got to be good at everything. Let them be good at something. He says to go all out in your love for your wives. It's a love marked by giving, not getting. Got to be kind. My wife and I, over the last 24 years, have gotten into a few professional disagreements. Just a few. I'm joking. (laughs) She got so mad at me one time, she poked me in the chest and she broke that knuckle right there. And then she was really mad because she broke the knuckle on on the pecs, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) She ain't no bone, she had muscle. But we get in these disagreements sometimes. And watch this, and you know this is true. We we got these, these little grenades that we hang on to, they're word bombs. And I got one, and it's the bomb called, you just like your, and if I want to get at her, that's my go-to, baby. I'll pull that one out. I'll hold the trigger, and as soon as she says something stupid, you just like your, there's two people, two people I can say it will set her off. I don't say that no more because love is kind and she got bombs too. <laughs> in fact, she got a few more than I do extra dynamite in them. We got to be kind to one another before one another, not against one another. 
Guys, let me give you a clue. Proverbs 17, 28 says this. Even you women can use this one. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. You see, all this time they told me it was going to be, it was going to take a degree to make me seem intelligent. All I got to do is keep my, my lip zip. Sometimes the best thing you can do is shut up. Walk away, catch your head, calm down, come back and work at it again with kindness. There's nothing wrong with walking away as long as you come back (laughs) in a timely fashion and settle the difference. Pastor said, walk away. It means I ain't got to listen to you no more. That ain't what I said. Love is kind. Wash her with your words. Wash him with your words. When's the last time you just said something that you hadn't said in a long time? That's actually good. When's the last time you told them what you appreciate about them? And not just what she cooks. When's the last time you grabbed your spouse and said, look me in the eye. And just loved on them. With your words. And appreciated them. Because you see, when you do that, you start to come across every lie that the enemy's spoken. Because all he's doing is he's stacking up lies in her mind. He's lying to her. He's lying to you all day long. He's telling you what you're not, telling you what you're not good at, telling you, reminding you of your past, telling you everything that you did wrong. And all it takes is for your spouse to walk in and say, you know what? I sure appreciate your faithfulness. I sure appreciate the fact that you ain't left me yet. (laughs) I'm glad you're still here. I appreciate how you do this. I appreciate who you are. I appreciate your attitude towards these things. I love the way you've grown in this. Come on. My wife believed a lie that probably every mother has believed. You're ruining your kids. Come on. How many of you ladies would say you've heard that lie before? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You raise your hand if you've heard it before. If you haven't, don't raise your hand. You've heard that lie before. She can testify this. I would come in and I said, baby, I would remind her of comments that people made about our kids. I said, those people are not liars. I said, they're telling them the truth, baby. I said, you're involved every day with it. You can't see what's happening. You can't see the results all the time. But listen to me, you're a great mama. You love your kids. I love the way you love our kids. I love the way when you walk in the room, Ethan brightens up. I love the way the girls respond to you. I love how your relationship with them has grown. What am I doing? I'm washing her with my words. Because you've got a full-time enemy that's lying to you. And all he's telling you is that you're no good at this and no good at that. And you blew it here and you can never fix it. It's over with. They're ruined forever. (laughs) If that was true. (laughs) Right? They're not ruined. Have you made mistakes? You better believe you made some mistakes. But let me tell you something. Let me ask you something. Is not God's grace bigger than your mistakes? 
Because listen to me, God gives parents grace. He gives spouses grace. You know what that means? That means that when I blow it, he gives me the strength and ability to get it right next time. Thank God for his grace, because if not, my kids would be ruined. Not because of my wife, because of me. You know, I know it's true that God, when God's word says that we're to wash them with our words, that that statement is true, that that verse is actually true, because this is how it shows up. My wife walks in the room with two different pairs of shoes on. She got her outfit on. Hey, babe, which ones look better? I'm thinking, you asking me? I got rubber boots, work boots, cowboy boots, and a pair of dress shoes. You asking me? I'm telling you what's going on in my mind. I'm just sitting there looking. But this is what's going on in my mind. I'm like, can you not pick out your own shoes? You tell me, you rag me out all the time. I got no fashion. Now you're going to. And I'll go, I'll just pick one, just confess. I like that one. And I just hope to God she doesn't ask me why. <laughs> Those look great, babe. And then when she's walking off, I go, mm, girl, you look good. You know why? Because the devil's telling her she looks bad. If all else fails and you don't know what to say, say you look like you lost some weight. It works every time. Come on, man. I mean, if she walks in the room, she goes, you notice anything new? And you're like, oh, God. It's the worst thing you can ask a man because he's going, okay, hair, nope, uh, earrings, nope, shirt, nope, skirt, nope, shoes, nope. You lost weight? <laughs> I'm just trying to help, just trying to help a brother out. That's all I'm trying to do. Last one. Love keeps no record of being wronged. It keeps no record of being wronged. Everybody keeps records today. You, I just downloaded an app to track my mileage. So when I drive, I got an app on my phone that calculates all my mileage for me. The cool thing is it tells me how much of a tax return I'm going to get back. So when I'm driving, I'm like, ching, 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 ching. whoa, makes me want to drive more. But everybody, everybody's keeping records of everything, right? When you call your cell company or your, your mobile company because they, your phone's not working, right? What do they say? This phone call may be, everybody's recording everything. Why? Because in case something happens in the future and you need a way out, I can pull up these records to get out. But that isn't what love does. Love destroys the records. In fact, it keeps no record of being wronged. Ha <laughs> That means this, that when you get wronged, it doesn't go into the file cabinet, it goes into the trash. Because if you keep records, then the enemy's got something to bring up to your memory. Right? Love, real love, keeps no records of being wrong. God keeps no records of you, right? Bible says when, he, when you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And then to what? To cleanse you. Of all unrighteousness, you know, where the, you know where the mud goes? Where's the mud go? In the drain, to the ditch, to the bayou. That's where your records went. Come on. Every time you turned your back on God, he didn't keep a record. When's the last time he threw your past in your face? 
wasn't God. Is the devil. Right? Love keeps no record of being wronged. I'm not, I'm not in this thing to build up a source that, that can one day get me out of this. I'm not keeping records to one day get out of this. My wife and I got this thing. When we, when we have these professional arguments, we, if, if we remind each other of, of something we did in the past, you know, because sometimes we hang on to records. We'll, we'll, she'll say something about my past. I go, well, yeah, but only the devil will remind you of your past. And who just said that? Can't keep records of the past. Why? Because we're in this till death. I'm not holding something that can get me out of here later. I'm not trying to protect myself. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to protect myself because I I was hurt in another relationship and I want to make sure I protect myself in this one. I'm not going to hold these records to get me out. I'm not doing this to get me out. I'm in this till death do us part. And if it takes me letting these go for us to have a good relationship, then by God, let them go. Let them go. I got a friend who for 20 or, 20 or so years now has just been in a, an extremely unhealthy relationship with his father. Uh, we graduated high school and we both went to college for a short stint, failed out, went to work. His dad had a construction company, and from day one, it just didn't go well. In fact, they, were, they never really got along. Remember, as a teenager, they got in a fist fight in the living room. He's now working for his dad about 20 years ago. And honestly, his dad, can I just say this? His dad's giving him hell at the job. As soon as he comes back to work, he tells all of his superintendents, don't give him a break. Make him earn it. So for 20 years, he's just drudging and drudging and drudging. And it's gotten like extremely bad now. He told me the other day, he said, he said, bro, you got to promise me to do something one day. He said, when all this is over, because now they're in a legal battle over the business. He says, one day when all this is settled, he said, I want you to help me destroy my records. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, I've got some records of me and my dad's conversations. I was like, okay. He's like, no, you don't understand. This is 20 years of every conversation we've had. So watch this. Every conversation he's had with his dad, he would go back to his office or whatever and write down the conversation for 20 years. Is that healthy? Is it healthy for him just to hang on to those conversations? Then why do we do that with each other? Why can't we forgive one another? What's so hard about forgiveness? I find it very interesting that the first thing Jesus does when we come into a relationship with him is forgiveness. The first thing Jesus extends to us in this new relationship that we have with him is forgiveness. The first thing he wants to do is wipe the record out, make the slate clean. Let's have a good relationship. Let's not live in the past. Let's not keep the past with us. Let's live for today and for where we're going. Right? Let's not keep any records. I don't need records. 
to forgive. I've done some things to my wife that I shouldn't be forgiven for. But she's extended it to me and she's never brought it up again. That tells me that she loves me. It's not haunting our marriage anymore. It's not haunting our relationship. It's not even a part of our life anymore. Why? Because she was adult enough, mature enough, and loved me enough to let it go and not let it linger in the marriage any longer. You see, when you're unfaithful, when one of the spouses is unfaithful, what typically happens is, is that whole unfaithful event carries with you through your whole life if you don't let it go. So that means it's almost like you've moved the adulterer in with you and now they're living with you and in this new relationship you have, you're always carrying this one with you. Come on, because you can't let it go. Every decision you make, every time you try to take a step forward, you're bringing that that event with you, you're bringing that thing with you, that offense with you. Thank God he doesn't treat us that way. Thank God that my record's clean. And when the enemy comes to accuse me, Jesus steps in and says, hang on, buddy. My records show that's been washed. That's in the ditch. It made it to the bayou. It's not a part of his life anymore. It's not a part of their life anymore. Come on. Are you getting this this morning? We got to let people go. We got to forgive them for what they've done, for the offenses they've, 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 that they've done towards us. We got to let them go. We got to forgive it and move past it. Can we just move past it? You ever see it? I keep getting reminded of this. You see the, <laughs> I'm going to mess this up. There's a commercial on TV. I'm trying to make it as clean as possible. It's, it's the woman that's got some bowel issues. Y'all know the commercial? And every time she tries to do something, her bowels kick in. I know this is gross, but just hang in here. Some of you are going to remember this. You know the commercial? It's an awkward commercial. It was funny the first time. It's not funny the second time. So everywhere this woman goes, her bowels, this other lady dressed up is her bowels. And every time she just hangs out and, and when she goes to do something, and the lady's life gets disrupted, right? I know this is gross, but just hang in here. That's what unforgiveness is. You're carrying around the poop of the past and you can't get past it. So your life continues to stink. You you got rid of the person, but your life still stinks because you haven't forgiven them and you haven't let them go. The medication you take is called forgiveness. What is it going to take you To let that go. What is it going to take for you to leave the past in the past? Because the longer you hang on to it, the more it's a part of your life. And your life is like days of our lives. I don't know where that comes from. It's full of drama. It keeps no record of wrong. 
Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If you don't know how to forgive somebody, just forgive them like you've been forgiven. Right? The Bible says to forgive your brother 70 times 7. Now, I know some of you, you're counting. Oh, you want 300 and something. It's about to run out. He didn't give it to you to count. He gave it to you that hopefully in the, in the number of times, 70 times 7 is 490 times. Hopefully in the 490 times that you forgive that person, you'll finally get it and make it a habit and make it part of your life. It's not for you to keep a record of. Gary Thomas, a very famous marriage author, says you don't fall out of love. You fall out of forgiveness. 